Welcome back to the Natureback podcast, where we are talking with investors about their visions of the new green world. We took a small autumn break, but we are back and have some great episodes lined up for you. My name is Tarmo Birki, and in this episode, I am talking with Johan Berno from Clementum Capital. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying the Nature Back podcast. I'm Merit, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Single Earth, and we're a team of more than 70 people building a nature-backed economy. And if that sounds crazy enough for you, then join us. Sign up at single.earth to be among the first to get access to our nature-backed tokens. And let's talk more on our Earthsavers Discord channel. Enjoy the show. Hello, Jan. Welcome to Nature Backed. Hey, good to be here. Tell us, if, to start off, tell us a few words about Clementum. What's the kind of Clementum story? Sure. Climentum is based out of Denmark. It's domiciled as a fund in Denmark, but we're based in Berlin, Copenhagen, and Stockholm. We have five partners. Our target fund size is 150 million, and we invest in early, in, in late seed and series A climate tech startups. So only in cases that at full scale can reduce a million ton CO2. Okay. It's article nine fund. So one of the new gen impact climate funds. And we officially announced a the, the first close in July. Okay. And uh, I think the official size of first close was not disclosed, right? Yeah, it's always a, a bit tricky to disclose those things, but I would say ballpark half the fund size. Okay. And now we're looking to do uh, our final close very soon. Mm. It's a good time for the fund to be fundraising, right? It's uh, It couldn't be better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Seriously or uh, not seriously? No, it's a bit tricky. The microeconomics, every, everyone is uh, back to uh, safety and, um, and uh, risk averse. So it's a little tricky, but the climate agenda is still very top of, of minds for most institutions. So we hope that things will, will progress well. Mm. I think the, uh, how many investments have you guys already made? We so we announced the fund in July. We've done two deals officially closed in July, and we are working on three others right now. Okay. So hopefully by November we'll have two more announced. Mm. The the two of July were public. Can you tell a few words about that? Them them. Sure. <clears throat> so the 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 first one was a company based out of Denmark called Continuum. They tackle the big challenge of composite material recycling. So think of those enormous wind turbines that are end of first generation. Um, Denmark, for example, is one of the leaders in, in deployment of wind. And it typically takes 20, up to 25 years for a wind turbine to, to deteriorate, right? And one of the first parts that deteriorates is the, the blades mm-hmm. because it's made of composite materials. It's also what's uh, capturing the wind. And unfortunately, we don't know how to recycle those things. It's just very complex. It's made of uh, resins and heavy metals and composites that are high, high grade, but very difficult to disassemble. And the EU is now trying to, to enforce penalties on those big, big uh, wind parks that are not doing anything to recycle. It is just very hard to, to recycle. Today, there are just landfill buried. You would not believe it. But in Denmark or in other places, we're uh, digging giant holes three to nine meters deep to just bury those enormous uh, 30 meter wind blades. And so Continuum has created a mechanical recycling process to not use any kind of chemical and to make it hyper efficient so that we 
downcycle. So we don't upcycle in the sense that we cannot recreate wind blades out of it, but we downcycle into wood cement panels that are used for the construction space. Wow. So it's a very interesting case, and it's probably a, an illustration of a case that we'll invest in uh, the most in our portfolio is those hardware deep tech, you know, industrial cases that have the highest potential of CO2 reduction, but they require uh, quite a bit of capital for to scale. And so this, this round is really uh, the equity round is unleashing uh, the firepower of infrastructure funds or large private equity plays that will then finance the construction of multiple facilities. Right, so this equity round is for the first facility west of Denmark, and then will come in 2024, the second, the third, and the fourth facility, and it will just uh, go globally in in cities that or in areas that need it the most. Mm. And it's kind of the classical, I don't know, chicken and egg, or how do you create kind of describe this problem when the companies are kind of doing really good with wind farming, but they had the waste which was you know non-recyclable in a way mm. until now. It is just a more of a timing issue for the past 20 years. We were just trying to push the wind agenda, not really thinking about what happens after, mm. you know, the end of life cycle one. And so now we're sitting on top of a, a pile, millions of those wind blades, and we have to, to address that. It is an environmental problem, right? If you try to burn this, this is terrible, but it's also a, a, an opportunity because you have raw material that could be used for as a replacement for or as an alternative to other. Um, uh, materials in the construction space. Yeah, absolutely. And the other investment? Sure, the other investments is called 1.5. It's out of Hamburg. Um, we invested alongside Speed Invest, Planet A Ventures, New Generation Fund, um, and, and, and others. Um, so we, the idea is to tackle the problem of plastics recycling. We're not, uh, obsessed with Recycling, it just happens to be two cases back to back. So plastics, really, the EU and other places in the world have enforced uh, the the ban on single-use plastics. So that's a, that's a good step in the right direction. We don't use plastic bags anymore, you know, those, those thin layer bags. But you still see plastics everywhere, right? From the sachets of mayonnaise or ketchup that you see in restaurants to those... Uh, uh, you know, packaging that you see in milk or a lot of, a lot of uh, 90% of a consumer based products still use some form of plastics. The problem of this is it's, it's not a single layer plastic. It typically has a coating that's made of, of uh, PET, PET, polyethylene. It's made out of aluminum. It's, it has multiple barriers for temperature, humidity, and, and a, a lot of different layers, right? Up to nine layers in this. So to recycle this, you would need to separate every individual layer. No one knows how to do it. And I, I bet you they, they probably won't in the future. So 1.5 is developing an alternative that is paper-based. Okay. But you need to create a paper alternative for each of those layers. So that will take time. And so we have the, the way this industry works today is you have the Nestle, the, the big, big food uh, companies that just source this uh, plastic packaging from the enormous, you know, packaging producers. Mm -hmm. Those are enormous companies that just, uh, you know, uh, print those kilometers of, of just layers. And those guys don't have R&D departments or they have no intention to change the core business model. 
So you need to source those patents or those innovation from where it's, it's, it uh, lives today, which is universities or, you know, labs that have not really found a commercial application for it or a product market fit. So 1.5 is sourcing patents, you know, assembling the team so that they can stress test that and then take it to, to, to scale by assembling those innovations together. Today, and the goal for 2023 is to have the first application in those sessions that I mentioned, you know, for mayonnaise and, and ketchup. The idea is to commercialize to one of those enormous uh, plastic processors. And then eventually they want to, you know, make the, through a dominoes effect, uh, go through each barrier at a time, right? So the goal is uh, over 2023 and in the upcoming years to to produce a paper-based alternative for each of those layers. And if they manage to go through the five barriers, this is uh, the holy grail of packaging and it could be worth billions. Mm. So we're betting on the fact that they can get there before anyone else create enough defensibility, but also alleviate an enormous problem. Mm. You basically, uh, was it the 1 million tons of CO2 is the, the I don't know, minimal cl- climate target for the startups you're investing in? That's right. Where does it come from? What's the logic behind the 1 million ton? Yeah, so for us, it's a, a floor. We are Article 9 fund. That means that we, this is the highest level of transparency on green finance these days. This is uh, all the new generation of climate funds tend to be Article 9. It doesn't make sense to be lower than that now, you know, mm. because it's not, not considered as the highest grade. And we start seeing private equity firms going in that direction. That means that you need to monitor each of your portfolio companies, what they do to, to reduce carbon, but also uh, can they reach the total potential. For us, 1 million ton means that it excludes a lot of applications. It's just not easy. Mm. We've been uh, seeing, you know, gigatons, a uh, thousand million tons being thrown around. But if you really go after what what it materially means for scope one, two, three, particularly scope three emissions, it's actually pretty high. That means that we cannot do software or straight software applications because the, the impact is not direct, it's indirect. Mm. So hardware, uh, generally deep tech, with a layer of software to enable scalability tends to be the name of the game. Mm. And how do you monitor the million ton CO2? Well, we tend to invest at early stage, right? So late seed when the company is 10, 20, 30 employees, and they generally don't generate a ton of commercial um, revenues. So mm. it's very hard to make, a, it's a game of predictions. Of course. So typically start with the back of the envelope calculation you know, trying to consider every part of the value chain, the suppliers, who the customers are, where this the, the technology gets shipped to or used. Mm-hmm. And then you, it gives you an indication whether you're in a high, high end CO2 potential or more in the uh, med- med- medium, medium, medium range, in which case you probably need to dig deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be, to confirm your, inspiration or your intuition on those calculations, you need to conduct a life cycle assessment, right? Mm-hmm. So analysis is uh, LCA. It's also uh, the, the new norm or becoming standard in that field. But conducting a full LCA requires quite a bit of money and quite a bit of time. So we would do a full LCA at the end of the fund. So when mm-hmm. we divest an investment, uh, but we conduct a pre-LCA upfront. A pre-LCA, we have one partner that's fully dedicated to it. His name is Stefan. He comes from that world, knows the field inside out. 
and um, and use a, a software to to make calculations. It can go pretty deep, very granular. Um, and sometimes when cases are really tricky and edgy, we externalize that. We use uh, external consultants that really specialize in certain verticals, so mm-hmm. they can get access to more and more data. The uh, I lost my thought there for a second. The uh, one million ton uh, logic. Uh, Calculations. Does it does it basically does it mean that uh, you mentioned the basically hardware and maybe with a software component for scalability, and and you know looking at the first couple of examples of the companies you've been investing in, does it mean that their kind of material technologies are really kind of maybe the most likely targets for you guys? Yeah, it, it typically. Uh you, you, to move CO two, you need to move atoms, molecules. It's typically involving physics or some element of chemical chemical reaction. So it has to be material-based or, you know, an industry that are really hard to decarbonize. Mm-hmm. So uh, probably, I'm sure you're looking at construction and, uh, construction. and probably transport. That's right. So uh, the, the, we have six uh, general sectors. It, it is so broad that we tend to focus on on strike zones. We call it strike zones. Uh, I can come back to that later. But the is six that, sectors... Is that baseball? As more a military term, oh, just okay. to, to be uh, to zero in a particular okay. target. Okay. To be hyper specific. When you use thesis driven, you need to be very specific on on what uh, the targets area are. So the the six sectors is uh, waste and materials. We use uh, agriculture and food tech. Um, there's the the construction space, mobility. There's next gen renewables, which for us means not wind and solar. Those are uh, commodities by now. It's not VCs that should invest in this field anymore. It's more private equity and, and you know, growth uh, infra funds. So for us, next-gen renewables is geothermal, it's hydrogen, it's small modular nuclear reactors, mm. um, those kind of new ways to generate energy. Mm. The, uh, this new energy field has probably seen a massive boost in Europe, right? Energy? Yes. Energy, well, there's, there's the historical energy, right? Cleantech 1.0, the, the wave, mm. uh, which we don't need to come back to. It's, it's been challenging, but the, where we see a boost now is very much on, on, on hydrogen. There's really a mandate from countries in, in Germany, in the UK, in France, uh, or in the Nordics. They're really trying to develop production and, uh, and, and uh, utility on hydrogen. But we're seeing because of the war in Ukraine, uh, a, any ways to reduce the electricity bill is is now uh, top of the agenda. So heat pumps is one form of you know that is very tangible to you and me. Yeah. To yeah. any consumer, is you install or you retrofit your gas boiler with a heat pump that will just pump you know the, the heat or lower at least your electricity bill. Um, we're looking at one one case very actively in in the Nordics. Yeah, the uh, several investors I've been speaking to on this show have been mentioning heat pumps, something they would have not thought two years ago they would ever invest mm-hmm. in, but suddenly they are the hottest commodity out there. Yeah, there's a number of reasons for it. Is heat pumps are warm and and hype at the moment because of the timing? You know, mm-hmm. as often you you need to base your your investment thesis on timing. Timing is the number one driver of a success in the startup, you know, investment space, and uh, and and timing is now is the right timing for heat pumps to go mainstream. 
Now, is it equity? You know, is it VC money that should finance this, or is it private equity or government funding through subsidies? Um, it's yet to be seen, but we believe certain cases that require exponentiality and to go really, really to dominate uh, should be backed by VC. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes all the sense in the world, of course. Uh, but you know, when Europe. Uh, is talking about the energy problems, the shortage of energy, and uh, you know the gas lines being exploded and all this kind of stuff. Um, and at the same time, there's new energies, the energy sources. They usually tend to be like long-term investments. So the how these two matches will match? Do we have some kind of the I don't know empty hole in the middle, which is filled maybe with LNG tankers or something like that? Uh, well, well, this is a. I think you're referring to the fact that we should. Um, there's end goal technology or innovation, where we live uh, in a world where, and there's transitory technology. Uh, right? You're probably going too philosophical on this. Um, I was trying to <laughs> look more of the kind of the layman layman's view view on the current situation, where when you read in the newspapers how Europe is, uh, you know, having its shortages or look, prices are skyrocketing on some things and so on on energy field. And then we are talking about the investments in that kind of new energy technologies, which typically tend to take time until they actually have, you know, vast impact on the society. Uh, I mean, this seems to be some kind of the hole between the two that. Sure. Well, it, it, it still puzzles me, right? Living in Berlin, that uh, Germany is still uh, keeping uh, coal power plants, you know, active for another couple of years, right? They decided mm-hmm. to keep the last three active for TBD. could be three, four, 10 mm-hmm. years, who knows? Uh, because there's such a energy demand and, and a shortage at the moment. So LNG terminals is another problem. Uh, today, you need to find gas somewhere, right? The pipelines, North Streams are, are out. You need to source gas from the Gulf, from Northern Africa, from Norway, or even from the US. And I've even heard that the, the the Koreans, which is really good at manufacturing things, they can do things in, in such high capacity very quick. Now they're producing 80% of the 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 the, the methane uh, or the the those super tankers carrying you know gas around the world. It's just an insane boom in their industry. So I, I, I don't know how long this will last, hopefully not too long, but we need to find more suitable and, and sustainable solutions. So mm. I, I think uh, unfortunately our leaders, political leaders are too short-sighted. They're just responding to this crisis as they responded to COVID, as they will respond to the next crisis. I think it would be a great moment to just pause, reflect, and then choose uh, the course, you know, to be a bit more visionary, mm. looking at 10, 15, 20 years out. Now is an opportunity to do it. Mm. Unfortunately, they're just, you know, losing this opportunity. Uh, but, you know, if you would be running Germany or France or EU, what, you be, what would you be doing now? You would take, be taking that pause and where would you be looking at? Well, I'm going to use this question as a re, um, just as as a way to zoom out, right? Mm-hmm. From of course, from from where we stand as a civilization and and the risks that are that are coming. So, um, I think it's high time we updated the rules of the game. Uh, capitalism 2.0 needs to be to take into account externalities. So it's not it's just a problem of regulation, really. And regulation has a bad rap, so uh, let's call it rules of the game instead. So I'm giving you a blunt reality of capitalism 1.0. Raising the GDP isn't complicated. 
you ask workers to make holes on Monday, fill them up on Tuesday, you dig them again on Wednesday and fill them up on Thursday, and this accounts for growth. This, uh, this is what millions of workers do every day around the globe. It's unfulfilling jobs, nonsensical, potentially harmful for the environment. So uh, another reality of 1.0, just to, you know, <laughs> to beat the nail in the head. Uh, today, an organization can be hugely financially profitable while laying off thousands of employees, increasing work pressure, boosting inequality, uh, discriminating against women, undermining democracy, and destroying nature. It's not an, not only entirely possible, but it's almost the norm, especially in a recession. So uh, when this accentuates to the extreme and can lead to your own extinction, I think uh, if we are truly homo sapiens sapiens, we should change the rules of the game. Um, so I, won't be, I hope it won't take a, a bloody revolution to get there or another COVID scale crisis. But as of 2022, our political leaders don't seem to, to have fully awakened to the danger ahead of us. Um, so if, you, if you've asked me in 2020 for a game of prediction, uh, of what's happening now and what's going to happen in the future and what should happen. I think we, we might be one year behind what my general gut feeling was, you know, uh, the first dozen of, of article nine climate funds. Uh, I, I predicted that in 2021 and it seems to happen more in 2022. So this will expand to hundreds. I think it's just a natural course of, of things. Uh, the hundred laying the path for thousands of ecosystem players by 2025. You'll see specialized accelerators, incubators, fund of funds, micro VC funds, uh, vert vertical specific funds and, and next gen CVCs. Uh, we can come back to this later. This idea of a corporate trying to play a role in VC, but still renaming differently than what they've done in the past CVCs. Uh, by 2027, 2028, we will see a rush in M&A. I think this is bound to happen. There's no other. For, for corporates to meet their 2030 targets, they will have to buy the shit out of all the companies that are doing something for the climate, um, particularly the ones with high CO2 reduction. And, and I'll stop my game of predictions at 2030. <laughs> the majority of corporations and governments will be vastly behind in terms of commitments to their 2030 targets and the Paris Agreement. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see what unfolds. Right. Um, yeah. Is it going to be another uh, tsunami of greenwashing? Uh, are governments going to point at each other? Uh, or will they finally be taking the opportunity to the, the rules of capitalism 2.0? That's yet to be seen. Mm. Um, my uh, cynical prediction is that we've, the greenwashing game has already started. Uh, I think blaming game we see in every year at the UN uh, COP meetings. There's yeah. always the ones, who, the others who are the ones to blame. That's, you know, human nature probably. And uh, as, as it's, you know, not as sudden for most of the people of the earth uh, as COVID was. I mean, you know, people in Pakistani do understand the, you know, impacts of the change, climate change very kind of on their skin yeah. these days, but not the kind of the general, not the politicians who make the calls. So I think we'll see, you know, 
cynical me is really kind of <laughs> feeling feeling sorry almost about the situation and trying to trying to change something. Yeah. Did you read the the book The Ministry for the Future? No, but I've seen many people comparing, uh, referring to it and comparing it also to our company, the Single Earth. Mm -hmm. I so I, th I think this is probably one of the books that impacted me the most in 2022. I, I got offered for Christmas and I kind of, you know, I don't like the mainstream books. I just kind of tend to dismiss them. But this one, I really spent the time and, and it's mind boggling of reality. It's really looking into the future and how what's going to unfold of our civilization. But it is a, a utopia. So mm -hmm. we, we're dreamers. You're doing this podcast, but I'm also running a, a VC fund because we believe there is a, a way out, even if it's just a little tiny hole that we need to skip, sneak through. But the Ministry for the Future paints a, a, a you know a gloomy reality over the next 20, 30 years. Humanity will hit bottom before we bounce back. And that is, seems unavoidable. It's just always as you transition from civilization to civilization, you need to. It's either Schumpeterian or Darwinian as an organic evolution. I, I would bet more of a Schumpeterian, but more of a brutal reality. Mm. But of course, uh, changes are the things which create opportunities, right? Absolutely. And uh, you are you are especially in the. <laughs> I mean, the VCs are in the opportunities game, right? If there is an untapped opportunity, that's the business case. Yeah, so the the VCs really play a, a, a role, but we are a fraction, you know, of what's necessary out there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but VCs tend to be trendsetters. We're setting the trend for the bigger capital stack. And their private equity comes next, the financial institutions, the government funds, and then you go up and up, you know, in, in pockets that are much, much deeper and manage billions. We are yet an, another intermediary in this whole capital flow. So the more funds you see out there, this is why there's no competition. You know, people are saying, we're competing for nothing. We're competing for 100 million funds, but that doesn't move the needle. Uh, we need more and more of those because we together can, can create a network effect, you know, a network effect that just moves the needle. And then forces everyone to to just become Article Nine and then push the Capital Two Point rules, you know, forward. And so it's just a one brick in this bigger transformation. Mm. You were earlier referring to the BRIC corporations and their CVCs, uh, and said you, know, you would like to maybe come back to this. What were you talking about? The yeah, so the um, historically uh, corporations have been poor at driving innovation. It tends yes. to be from smaller organizations because the incentive mechanism is not there, right? Why mm. would you change your core business model if your shareholders are happy, you're generating revenues, and then you're benefiting? You're the winner of that current game. So as the game transforms and new rules are set, they will have to adapt. And they've been trying to adapt historically by creating CVCs or corporate venture capital uh, firms, uh, essentially just trying to incentivize a few guys with a high salary, but very low carry internally. And we know that it doesn't work. Mm. If it's not your baby and you don't see the carrot at the end, you just don't drive. You don't expose yourself. Mm, you know? Exactly. You don't. So now we're seeing that that model uh, shift a little bit, right? We see large corporations inventing, uh, I, I call it CBC 2.0, is uh, rebranded funds with external partners that are incentivized with carry. Not as much as if you were to build your own 
uh, fun, but you can leverage a platform, you can leverage your brand, and then typically the the funders or the clients of your own platform um, shrinks the fundraising window, right? So instead of taking two years, it might take you six months. And so we're seeing more and more of those CBC 2.0 pop. And we uh, predict that there will be more and more. Each corporate will try to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that will probably lead the next stage of this uh, climate tech transformation. And and then uh, financial institutions will do the same thing. And then government funds will create fund of funds and et cetera, et cetera. So it's very hard to predict how this whole ecosystem and the the, 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 all the bricks, you know, how they're going to fall. It's a Tetris game a little bit, but it's going in that good direction, I believe. Mm-hmm. And in Tetris game, when it goes in a good direction, then the screen is empty, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You, the Tetris game, you end up losing. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. there's no, uh, it's a positive sum game here. Yes, yes, hopefully. The um, looking forward, I mean, we started off in a little bit, maybe a melancholy note of the downturn and uh, things like this. Um, you know, how do you look forward into the end of 22 and 23? Sure. Well, it's almost, uh, you know, two years, two, two months out. Um, mm. it, I, I believe uh, not a ton will change by the end of the, of the year. Mm. And uh, I really am looking much, you need to zoom out, right? As a VC, this is a game where you bet on a decade and then a decade of transformation. And I, I will just, again, uh, say that I suspect the climate was the, the ca- capitalism 2.0 rules of the game to be laid out at the transition towards the next decade. So end of mm-hmm. 2020s and towards the 2030s. Mm. I so I can give you sort of a, my my hint, really, my where where uh, things should head, and and I believe people wake up, you know, as the water is rising, and so the the general rules of capitalism two point that we'll see at the end of this decade is is a, a high price on carbon. I think people wake up that the current price is just ridiculous. It doesn't incentivize the the the, the players as much mm-hmm. as it should. Uh, we will see a negative incentive or or penalty structure for travels and moving goods. Mm. So the fact that today it, no one gets penalized by moving things across five continents, it's just nonsense. Mm. Right? It needs to be taken into account. Another one is high taxes on imports. Again, wh- why? This is people that don't realize, and I, I don't understand why at the top of economies, especially in Europe, they don't. It it, it seems so obvious to me. That the, especially the southern economies, Spain, Portugal, Italy, but also France are suffering from a, a, a deficit, right? In their commercial balance. They're importing more than they're exporting. Uh, so why don't they increase the taxes on import or just re- which would probably rebalance the economy and there will be more players relocalizing, you know, industry locally. And that means that they would reduce imports or increase revenues from the imports and then uh, increase the, the export. If you manage to reestablish a bit of a, a positive or, or, or a neutral balance, you solve all the problems. Mm. You solve unemployment. You solve uh, the fact that we don't manage to finance the, the healthcare. You solve the retirement problems and you solve a lot of the issues. I don't understand why they're not applying this. Uh, mm. Some people say it's because of the lobby of a handful of organizations that gain too much, but because they're the winners of the export game. But at this point, there are not that many, you know, 
um, and and the government should think about how to to use uh, taxes more in that direction. True. True. Uh, government should think that uh, that's a good positive note uh, <laughs> to wrap it up. Uh, thanks, Johan, for your time today, and uh, we'll meet at the next uh, climate conference, surely. Thanks, thanks very much for having me on the show, and yeah, happy to meet you. Thanks. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.